The second reading is also from Genesis 46, um, starting at verse 26. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariots make ready, made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were living in the land of Canaan, have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our, from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my, fa my father and brothers, with their flocks and herds and everything they own, have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region, because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be brought in Egypt, that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan, in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. 
When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep, and their goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and had enough food from the allowance Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there, and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Annika, thank you so much for reading. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. Hey, I I realize that you've been sitting down the whole time since you came in. You know, we we haven't been standing during songs and stuff. So if you're able to, look, if you're eight eight and a half months pregnant, you do not need to stand up. But if you're able to, please stand up and just have a quick stretch just to get the blood flowing uh, so we don't fall asleep during God's word. 
All right, feel free to take a seat again. Let me lead us in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we can meet now as um, a body of believers and hear you speak to us. What a great privilege. Thank you so much for uh, the blessings you give us every day. Thank you for the blessing of of family in Christ. Thank you for the blessing of your word, um, that we really can uh, know you through it. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that your spirit would uh, be at work in our hearts, softening it softening them and causing them to to receive your word, causing them to accept it and to obey it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Thursday, wannabe holidaymakers were keeping a close eye on the update of England's green list of foreign holiday destinations. Sadly, their hopes were met with frustration. Not only were expected countries like Greece and Spain not added to the list, But the list was even shortened through Portugal's removal. The word from above, for the moment at least, is stay put. And as a result, many people have had to change their travel plans. It looks like those who were hoping to fly to Barcelona might now have to settle for a drive to Blackpool. Speaking of travel plans, cue the segue. Did you notice Jacob's travel plans in our reading? Jacob also sought a word from above. But of course, it wasn't a word from the government. It was a word from God. Jacob wanted to know if Egypt was on God's green list, so to speak. As we've seen in our Genesis series so far, uh, Jacob and his family are living in Canaan uh, during a severe famine. But there's food in Egypt where Jacob's long-lost son, Joseph, is now the prime minister. And Joseph invites his father to to relocate there with his whole family. So back in Genesis 45, Joseph said to his brothers, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. That's a part of Egypt. And be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Now, you'll recall that Jacob had thought his son Joseph was long dead. So how how did he reply to the invitation? He said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. That's how last week's passage ended. But in today's passage, as soon as we hear that Jacob's journey to Egypt has begun, we get the impression that he's not too sure about the trip. Have a look with me at Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, that's Jacob's other name, set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Why is Israel offering sacrifices to God here? 
I don't think it's merely an act of devotion or worship. I think he's seeking confirmation from God that he's doing the right thing in relocating to Egypt. Indeed, we get a sense of this when we read God's words to him in verse 3. God tells him, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why might Israel be concerned about moving there? I think there are three possible reasons. First, by moving, he'd be leaving Canaan, the land that God had promised his family as an inheritance. Wouldn't leaving be taking a significant step backwards? Second, in Genesis 15, God had warned Israel's grandfather, Abraham, that his descendants would be enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years. Perhaps, perhaps Israel is nervous about the future that awaits his descendants. Third, and perhaps most poignantly, in Genesis 26, during a previous famine in the land, God had explicitly warned Israel's father, Isaac, against moving to Egypt, saying, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. It's not hard to see why Israel wants to get the go-ahead from God, is it? Furthermore, because, because a great desert lies between Beersheba and Egypt, Beersheba seems like an obvious place to check in with God before continuing their journey. So what does God say to Israel? Look at chapter 46, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. What does God tell Jacob? He says, go. Jacob, Egypt is on the green list. God reassures him that he will make a great nation of him there, that he will be with him, and that he and his descendants will return to Canaan in the future. And finally, that his beloved son Joseph will be at his bedside when he dies. Now, I wanted to take a step back to see the relevance uh, of today's passage for us. In order to do that, uh, I think we first need to to think about how the story might have been helpful to the Israelites. Specifically, those who around four centuries after Jacob found themselves in the wilderness following the exodus from slavery in Egypt. If you're one of those Israelites wandering in the wilderness... How confident might you have felt about your people returning to the promised land? It's a journey that should have taken a couple of weeks. But it took 40 years. How long into that journey would you have started to doubt you were actually going to make it? In Numbers 11, we learn that some of the Israelites in the wilderness were in such a state of despair that they actually wished they could go back to Egypt and be slaves again. It sounds bonkers that anyone would want that. 
But listen to how Moses recounts it. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. How might today's passage have helped the Israelites in the wilderness? I think it might have helped them not to throw in the towel when when so many around them were. How could the Israelites be sure that as a people, they would really return to the promised land? They'd, They'd need to remember God's promises as revealed here in Genesis. Similarly, how can we be sure that God will lead us, his people, to our promised land, the new creation? We too need to remember God's promises. Our first point is remember God's promises, and it's verses 1 to 4. The promises made in verses 1 to 4 are similar to those made to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, back in Genesis 12 and 15. So in in chapter 12, God had said, I will make you into a great nation. And then in chapter 15, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. In the same chapter, God goes on to say, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. What did God promise? He promised that his people would grow exponentially in number and that they would have their own special land. What did the Israelites in the wilderness need to keep going? They needed to remember these promises. One of the reasons the promises made to Abraham were reiterated to Jacob was so that his descendants could have confidence in God and not give up on their hope of returning to the promised land. Similarly, as God's people today, we are recipients of God's promises. We know that God is making a great nation of us, so to speak. The Apostle John in Revelation 7 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, God is saving a multitude of people. And he's saving us so that we might dwell with him, so that we might dwell with him in a land even greater than Canaan. The Apostle John goes on to say in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
Friends, how can we be sure that God will lead us to the promised land? We need to remember his promises. Although we might be in the wilderness now, we won't be in the wilderness forever. But not only do we need to remember God's promises, we need to trust God's promises. That's our second point, trust God's promises. And it's from verse 5 to to verse 27. What does Jacob do after receiving God's promises? Have a look at me at verse 5. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. What does Jacob do after hearing God's promises? He acts upon them. He immediately leaves Beersheba for Egypt. He acts upon God's promises because he trusts God's promises. Now fast forward again 400 odd years after Jacob to the Israelites in the wilderness post-Exodus. Many Israelites were grumbling. They were thinking, stuff the promised land. All we have now is this manna, this flaky bread. Let's go back to being slaves. At least then we'd have leeks and cucumbers. Friends, what are your leeks and cucumbers? What are your leeks and cucumbers? What are the things of this world that make you want to chuck it all in, spiritually speaking, while you travel through the wilderness? Right now, as we live in the wilderness, life can be hard. And sometimes we can resent the fact that all we have is, quote unquote, flaky bread. And because we resent our current circumstances, we grumble against God. So here's what we need to do. We need to remember that we're in the wilderness and that its extreme conditions can make life hard. Yet also, and more importantly, we need to remember that we can trust God because of his promises, no matter how hard life gets in the wilderness. Jacob trusted God enough to travel through the wilderness between Bathsheba and Egypt. The Israelites, who who were rescued from slavery in Egypt four centuries later, also had the opportunity to trust God in the wilderness as they made the journey in the opposite direction. But sadly, as we know, many didn't trust him. So who will we be like? Will we be like the the Israel who trusted God on his way to Egypt? Or like the Israel who didn't trust him on their way out of it? Now here's another reason we can trust God's promises. We can trust them not only because it is God himself who makes them, but also because he has shown that he keeps them. Our third point is no God fulfills his promises. No God fulfills his promises. 
and it's from chapter 46, verse 28, uh, to the end of today's passage. In our passage, we, we see several glimpses of God fulfilling his promises. Now, why is, this, why is this helpful for us? When we see God keep his promises in the past, it gives us confidence to trust him to keep them in the future. So let's consider a few ways in which we see glimpses of promise fulfillment. First, we see it through Jacob's reunion with his son. So in verse 4, God said to Jacob that Joseph's own hand would close his eyes. Implicit in that promise, of course, is that Jacob would see Joseph again, which he does in verse 29. But not only does he get to, to see his son again, he gets to enjoy his company for another 17 years in Egypt. Second, Joseph was indeed when, sorry, Joseph was indeed with Jacob when he passed away. And significantly, Joseph ensured that his father was buried in Canaan, not in Egypt, as per his wishes. So in chapter 47, verse 29, it says, When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, Joseph said. We know from chapter 50 that that's exactly what happened. Joseph was with Jacob when he died and he buried him in Canaan. Third, we see a glimpse of God fulfilling his promises through the prospering of the Israelites. So what did God have promised? God had promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants and make them a great nation. And do we not see evidence of this in the passage? So have a look at chapter 47, verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Finally, we see the blessing of the Egyptians. So God had told Abraham that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. In our passage, as as the famine hits Egypt, we get a preview of this. Through Joseph, the Egyptians are saved. So in chapter 47, verse 25, look at what the Egyptians say to Joseph. You have saved our lives. My friends, are, are these the complete fulfillment of the promises? No. There are many fulfillments. I think they, they serve as trailers for how the promises would be fulfilled in a far greater way in the future. But these many fulfillments were recorded for us so that, so, were recorded so that the subsequent generations of Israelites 
could take comfort from that. And they're here so that we can take comfort from them too. They're here so that we can trust God's promises because he fulfills them. I want to close with this. It's quite possible that the the Israelites in the wilderness who'd been rescued from slavery thought that they couldn't live without Egypt. They thought, we need Egypt. We need Egypt because of the leeks and cucumbers. This passage shows that precisely the opposite is true. It's not Israel who needs Egypt. It's Egypt who needs Israel. It was through Israel's son, Joseph, that Egypt was saved. You have saved our lives, the Egyptians said. Friends, the the Egyptians were saved and blessed through Joseph, the descendant, the seed of Abraham. Similarly, we today are saved and blessed through the seed of Abraham. Of course, for us, it's not Joseph, but the one to whom Joseph's life and work pointed Jesus is the one through whom we can be saved and blessed. Jesus is the one who prepares a place for us in his Father's house. So brothers and sisters, let's remember God's promises and trust them. We can do so because God fulfills his promises. Hey, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian I know that you too can partake in God's promises. You can be recipients of God's promises if you will trust in the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham, Jesus. He has made a way for you to be able to be reconciled to God and to receive God's promises and blessings. If you would like to do that, if you would like to to trust in Jesus, you can do that today. And if you decide to do that, please do come and speak to me or to Kevin or to anyone from our church family. Tell them that. Ask them to pray with you and ask them what might be some helpful uh, next steps for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can trust you, that you are a God who not only makes promises, but keeps them. Thank you for um, how we see glimpses of of your keeping them here, right at the beginning, the very first book of the Bible. Thank you for how that sets the tone for the rest of the Bible. Father, thank you that we can know that we will, um, we, we will enter our promised land, the new creation, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus, the seed of Abraham, has made a way for us. Help us to rejoice in that, and we pray, Father, that you would give us great confidence in your promises. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.